Did you ever wonder what your pastor didn't say on Sunday? This is the Afterthoughts Show, a podcast inspired to help Christians walk with Jesus throughout the week. Your hosts are Zane Garza and Pastor Chris Chadwick from Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego, California. And we'll talk about biblical truths that didn't make it into Sunday morning's message. Welcome to the Afterthoughts Show, a podcast for Canyon Ridge by Canyon Ridge. I'm Zane Garza. I'm Chris Chadwick. And thank you for joining us today. If you like this broadcast, please share it on your favorite uh, social media platform, and we greatly appreciate it. We are really excited when you share things that are by Canyon Ridge and for Canyon Ridge with your friends. And so, yeah. yeah man. Canyon Ridge about. serving San Diego since 2002. Since two. <laughs> It's 2002. <laughs> it sounds like a pest control company, but uh, it's, 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 Same, you know? it's true. It is true indeed. Been here since 2002. Yeah, two weeks, celebrate 21 years. That's kind of exciting. I was in, uh, I was in sixth grade when uh, Canyon Ridge started. I feel like I was in sixth grade when Canyon Ridge started. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did the people who heard me preach. They thought I was in sixth grade when Canyon Ridge started. So tell us something good. Something good. Uh, yesterday, I was really encouraged by our harvest party that we had for uh, the young people. Um, what would that be? Like kindergarten to sixth grade? I think it was actually like two and three year olds. Was like. it? Yeah, they did stuff upstairs for them. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I'm usually a part, I'm with the teenagers, youth pastor, seventh to twelfth grade, and uh, being with the younger kids, uh, it's just, it's different. Thanks. But it's different in a good way. And uh, Mike Cardoza did. I always have fun being around him when he's serving in the children's ministry. If you don't know Mike Cardoza, he's like the quietest uh, dude in the world when he's around adults. Uh, just a war fighter, a great dude, uh, prior Marine, and just a, a wonderful godly man. But around adults, he's like super, super uh, serves in the background. That's just kind of the, the personality that God's given him. And you put him around kids, and man, he just comes to life. And uh, the kids, it's interesting because uh, it's. I think it's a God, a God-given gift that he has, because kids just gravitate towards him, and he loves them, and they love him. Him, he and Kristen, they do such a great job. Um, and uh, you know, his wife and Gloria kind of help organize and administrate the children's ministry. But Mike is really um, the face of the children's ministry. He's the life of the party. He, he is. <laughs> I mean, that's just a God-given gift. It is just such a blessing. And yeah. I came down last night at the start of it and just love watching him minister to those kids and the kids' reaction to him. And it seemed like they were going to have a lot of fun last night. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. A ton of fun. Yeah. And a lot of candy. A lot of candy. I ate a lot of animal crackers, actually, which I love animal crackers. Like, Why? That's a good question because you look at them and they're like nothing. It's like yeah, it's like a hard cracker. So why? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure. They're not the iced yeah. animal crackers like the mother. We did have some of those though. We did. We had some of those. We had the chocolate ones, which were probably my favorite, and then we had just the plain ones. That was the majority, and uh, I ate them all every single. Are one. you are you teething? I mean, is that <laughs> like are you getting new teeth? <laughs> <laughs> what adult man eats animal crackers? Zane Garza. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. You had like Snickers candy bars or Milky Way or They Twix. must have been hiding the good stuff from the adults because I didn't see any of that all night. Gummy bears, None gummy lifesavers. Nope. Nope. And what you're actually eating is animal crackers. Out of like a 16-ounce bag. Really? Maybe it was like an 8-ounce. It was like a small one. Wow. Man, now that I'm saying it, I want some gummy bears. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
it's everything I can do to stay in this chair and not go get some gummy bears. So, guarantee I would not have been eating animal crackers. Oh, I was hungry. Right on. But anyway, still a great day. <laughs> <laughs> I got my nourishment when I got home. So, something with some. Good. Speaking of nourishment, what did you have for dinner? What did I have for dinner? I had leftover pizza from Ottavio's Italian restaurant in Lakeside. Kind of random. But uh, shout out to Gina Wardlaw. She watched my children and the Lund children on Saturday. Just uh, texted us, said, hey, Quentin and Tyler are out of town. Uh, If you want me to watch your boys or your kids, you can go on a date night. And so took advantage of that. And they're in East County already anyway. So there's a nice little uh, Italian restaurant, Octavio's, that we've been to before when Lily Wardlaw watched the kids. Was it good? Yeah, solid. (laughs) Kind of random because Lakeside is like... uh, it's an interesting place. It's an interesting place. Uh, reminds me of home a little bit. Yeah. Where I'm from. Ohio, again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, a little different, but kind of get the same vibes here and there. And uh, But this Italian restaurant is like a gym in the middle of it all. So mm, Sweet. Yeah, there you go. I've never heard of it. <laughs> Chances are I'm never going. Probably not. So Unless I'm in Lakeside. And I'm when walking. are you in Lakeside? That's why I'm probably never going. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't go to Lakeside. I've probably been to Lakeside four times in 21 years. Really? Four or five. Yeah, as near as I can tell. Yeah, I've been to El Cajon a few more times than that. Why would you leave beautiful San Diego for East County? I agree. East County's. I mean, it's no fine. Offense. No yeah, offense. Yeah, it's fine. It's great. Great people there. But I just, I mean, I'll go out there and have a meal with somebody, uh, but they always pick where we go, and they normally pick like halfway in between or something like that, which is which is wonderful. So like Grossmont, that area, I go there all the time. But anyway, well, we're five minutes in, and we're talking about East County. <laughs> animal so, crackers. And animal crackers. <laughs> so I hope that you've been listening to this at triple speed. Amen. And uh, Amen. We, will, we will try to make this a little bit more productive for you, but... Um, Somebody told me the other day, they're like, I really like the banter on the Afterthoughts program, to which I thought, good. I didn't know what else to say, so that's yeah, what amen. I said. It was yeah. good. Yep. That's all I'm glad you like it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, Mom, there you go. There was some, <laughs> there was some banter. So. Well, Pastor, you were back in Romans yesterday. Yes, sir. And, uh, I mean, you were in Romans last week, but not, kind of back in your series of mm-hmm. going uh, verse by verse through Romans. And uh, your CIT yesterday was God continually proves himself to the point where unbelief is unreasonable. Um, just that CIT alone, I feel like you go in so many different directions. Obviously, you're in line with the text. Uh, but is there anything that yesterday you wish you would have covered or maybe touched on or maybe expound on a little bit more? Um, for those of you that don't know, CIT stands for the central idea of the text. Um, we normally don't use that terminology. Um, but it's big kind of, idea. It's the big idea. Like, what's, what's, what are all these verses put together? What's the one thing they're, they're saying? What do you build your message off of. And and really the whole point uh, of it is um, God has done so much to prove himself that unbelief becomes unreasonable. Uh, There's a time when unbelief is probably reasonable. Romans chapter 10, verse number, um, what would it be, Um, 13 and following, um, whoso shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then verse number 14, how then shall they call on him of whom they have not uh, believed, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? If no one ever hears the gospel, if no one ever knows the truth, then unbelief is the reasonable expectation, which is why we as Christians are commanded to be missionaries and to be evangel- evangelists and um, 
and share the gospel everywhere that we go and invite people to church and invite people to Jesus everywhere we go, have gospel conversations every time the Spirit uh, makes opportunity, which is all the time, I might add. Some people are like, well, I, I just don't think the Spirit was moving me. Are you sure the Spirit of God wasn't moving you to talk about Jesus? Because that's kind of his job. Uh, I mean, that's what he does is encourage us. Our fear often keeps us from it. Um, but there is a point in a person's life where unbelief is reasonable, but God had done so much primarily speaking in, in chapters nine, 10 and 11, God is speaking to the nation of Israel and it's really God's dealing with the nation of Israel and, um, how is God relating to them and, and to the nation of Israel, Jesus had shown them and God had shown them so much about the Messiah that unbelief has become unreasonable. Do I, I was really kind of frustrated in some regards with this text um, from a homiletical or from a pastoral preaching perspective because I wanted to lay out unbelief is unreasonable because this point, this point, this point, this point, and this point, like come up with five points or something like that. I just felt like the way that I laid it out was was better for the overall text um, and the clarity of the overall text. So it's one of those times and probably every preacher who preaches expositionally verse by verse, I would assume, maybe not, maybe I'm the only one that's ever done it, uh, but where the big idea is almost more powerful than the, the or, or more succinct, powerful is not the right word, more succinct than the totality of the message. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, and maybe other people would say you're just a bummer, bum of a preacher, and that, that's probably not far off. But um, that's that was a... Yeah, but I wish I could have like laid every single thing out, but like Israel rejected Christ and yet God is still speaking to them and God revealed himself through nature. I wish I could have talked about that a little longer and God revealed himself through his word. I wish I could have talked about that a little bit longer and God is still dealing with them and God is still dealing with us. God has revealed to you himself through nature. God has revealed himself to you himself through the word of God. And God is still dealing with you. And if you don't believe, it's not because you're intelligent. Intelligent. It's not because, uh, now you might have questions and there are people with a ton of questions. We want to answer those questions. But if you've been studying Christianity for a year, six months to a year, unbelief at some point does become unreasonable. You're just willfully choosing to not believe. And I don't know what that number is. I don't know how long that is. I don't know that time. But there, there becomes a point where you start stop seeking the truth and you start being sarcastic or scorning the truth. And Israel was scorning the truth. Just getting hard. Just getting hard, hard. Yeah. That's why the Bible says, I'm trying to remember what verse it is. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to read it all, but um, is it the number nine or something like that? Um, their eyes were darkened. It says uh, later they were hardened. They were blinded. Um, just in different places. I'm not. I'm not going through the whole text again. But yeah, I wish. I, I wish. Uh, there's a part of me that wishes I would have have spent a little bit more time on that. Um, but I felt like God really did a great work yesterday during the preaching ministry at Canyon Ridge. I, I felt like it was it was fire. And I don't say that very often. <laughs> Normally, I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. And I still went home last night going, why did I say that? 
the typical. I think we need to change the afterthoughts to what do you need to apologize for today? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I made a joke about my daughter last night, and I'm like, yeah, it was probably ill-timed, and I shouldn't have done that. And then I probably said, I was like, why do I do that? It's funny in the moment. Then I go home like, I don't think that was a good idea. <laughs> so, Well, since you brought it up, I was going to bring it up in a little bit, but... Um... Not even necessarily the the, the content, because I do want to talk about the content of what you got fired up a little bit about yesterday, um, but the the passion. I think sometimes, maybe I'm wrong, people just think that's your personality, and mm. so you're just, which it is, which obviously is great, but I think it's more, I want you to share a little bit more of what your heart is, because I think that's why you do that. You're not doing that for a show, per se. Like You're good at it, and you can be funny while doing it, but that's you're not doing it for the sake of being funny or being outrageous, but there's a, there's a reason for it. What, what exactly are you talking about? When I did what? You don't know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I was, all right. So uh, to give you more specifics, like uh, you, you went on, you, you got, you caught fire. Okay. About Calvinism yesterday and then okay. yesterday during the announcements, which we won't talk about the announcements, whatever. Because okay. it was the announcements. It wasn't the preaching. So you were just fired up about it. And a lot of people think that's just pastor. But I think what oh, I'm getting yeah. at is like, well, I think more of us should be like that, even if it's not your personality, because it's truth. And you're not just doing it to be uh, for a show, but you're doing it because you have a genuine passion for the truth in your heart that you want to communicate. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I had I, that, that's not in my notes. Right. That's not in my notes. I mean, you have my notes. That nothing is said about that. Um, truly, if you're a spirit-led preacher, there's just stuff that comes out that the Holy Spirit guides you to say, and He He guides the way that you're going to say it as well. And preaching. Some, some people think preaching is the dissemination of information. And though that is certainly a part of that, preaching is declaring the truth of God through the personality of the preacher. And, and so that's why you would have, you have different styles of preaching, different styles of preachers. Um, and I'm, I, I mean, you know my personality. I'm a coach by nature. Um, I'm, I'm type A. I'm a driven guy. Um, but the Holy Spirit just fired me up that I need to help some of our young people, like in relationship to Calvinism, like, Hey, stop flirting with this. This isn't, this isn't good. And I hear people talk against Calvinism or whatever. I'm not against Calvinist people, people who are Calvinist. I'm against the system, the, the soteriological system, because it, it blends over into so many um, unwise and theologically unsound areas. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still fired up about it. Um, and I just felt led of the Lord that I needed to, um, in that moment, say something. And there becomes a fire and preachers are supposed to preach. And I, I wasn't in the crowd. I don't know if it felt uncomfortable or not, but I, I honestly never felt uncomfortable uh, preaching that I felt like, no, this is where we're at and this is what we need to say. And part of the job of the pastor is to protect the flock. I'm a shepherd. And shepherds yell at, um, you know, predatory animals that are coming in to steal the sheep. And I'm not going to go down going, well, they took another one. That really kind of stinks. I wish that hadn't happened. No, bro, we're all in. I didn't give my life for this so that I could go, well, they stole another one, you know, 
We lost sleep, prayed over, witnessed, ministered to, showed love to for years to lead people to Christ. And then somebody comes in and because they can say words like super lapsarianism, they go, oh, I wonder what that means. They must be really intelligent. No, they just come up with their own 12 syllable words. I mean, the Bible is, is very clear. Knowledge puffeth up. I mean, I'm about to go off. It's going to be on a podcast. So I'm sure that there's some of those wonderful Calvinist brothers that so they're just often, not all the time, but often some of the most intemperate people on the planet. And if you don't agree with them, they call you uneducated, ignorant, and they, they just divulge into name calling if you don't agree with them. And I find that just, just grotesquely unchristlike. Um, and, and I have friends and mentors that are Calvinist. Okay. I, I do. We have, but we have deep seated disagreements about this. And my position is a traditional biblical position and their tradition is a system. And, and if Calvinism is accurate, then Paul preached a very, very confusing gospel because he says just in the verses, what is it? Uh, um, 11 to 14, 11 to 13, he uses the word whosoever or all four times in three verses talking about salvation when he should not have said whosoever or all of Calvinism is accurate. So yeah, that ticks me off. Like God, God says whosoever. And so Paul is intentionally inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's their argument, inspired by the Holy Spirit and intentionally preaching a confusing gospel. Well, God is not the author of confusion. Why is he doing that? It, it, it's, it's nonsensical. It doesn't have a leg to stand on. Well, he meant whosoever within the elect that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that too is nonsensical because they're already, if, if Calvinism is right, they're already elect. So why do they need to even call on the name of the Lord? They're the ones, the Calvinists are the ones against a sinner's prayer. You don't have to pray if you're a sinner. You're just suddenly saved. You never have to even call on the name of the Lord. Hey, well, then why does he say call on the name of the Lord? Again, more and more and more confusion. Well, what is that born out of? It's born out of a heart that goes, I deeply love the scripture and I deeply love people. And I cannot stand when people take the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus and make it more and more confusing. And they do it on the back of trying to make you feel ignorant. Well, I don't feel ignorant at all. They can call me ignorant, man. Let's get, let's have a debate. Let's do that. Let's have that all day long. You even want to wrestle. Let's do that. I don't care. I'm going to stand up for the truth. My backbone is big. And uh, I'm I'm ready to go. I, I'm sick and tired of people taking our young men and giving them crap theology. And some of my really conservative fundamentalist friends will be mad that I said that. But let me say it again. Giving them crap theology and leading them down a rabbit hole of nonsense and a rabbit hole of spiritual silliness that leads often, not always. I want to be I want to be careful that I'm not being categorical, but often leads them down a road of spiritual apathy and arrogance as opposed to humility and grace. Because uh, we, have, we have some former Calvinists in our church that went on outreach with their church one time, and one guy was trying to share the gospel with somebody, and he literally quoted uh, Romans 10, 13 to people, and he said, hey, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The leader from the Calvinist church went, pulled him aside and said, hey, just so you know, we don't believe. These were his words. We don't believe that anyone can be saved. He goes, well, I quoted a Bible verse. Yeah, we don't believe that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
They have to be selected by God. Everybody else is damned for hell. Well, the Bible says that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And Calvinists want to say, well, God is glorified with every person that dies and goes to hell. Well, in a general sense, God is glorified in that his word is found true and right. And when people reject God, they do spend eternity in hell. But Jesus died on the cross. Jesus wept over the lost. John 9, 36 to 38. He was moved with compassion. He was literally sick to his stomach. He was moved with compassion on them as they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He wept over their spiritual condition. If Calvinism is right, then Jesus should have rejoiced. Like, oh, look at those losers. I didn't select them. I could keep going. If Calvinism is right, the nation of Israel is the chosen nation, then why are they not all going to heaven? Jesus rebukes them inherently, or, or repeatedly, I should say, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels. We hear that all the time. And they're supposedly the chosen ones, and they're the, the nation of Israel is the archetype for Calvinism. And, and Calvinists go, yeah, see, the nation of Israel was chosen by God. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Totally misunderstanding that text they are. And and they're they get really up in arms about it. Well, if Calvinism is right, then why are there Israelites, Jews, not not chosen to go to heaven? I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, but but yeah, I got fired up about it. You could still feel it's still there. Because I want people to, to know and live in the truth of the gospel. And here's the reality: anyone who calls in the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. Yes, the Holy Spirit has to convict them, but it's amazing how when somebody will witness to somebody, the Word of God in and of itself brings conviction to the people that hear it. And when well, people reject it, that doesn't mean they weren't convicted. That means that they rejected it. Love that, Pastor. So what would you, what's advice that you would give to uh, a young Christian or a younger guy who's, who's passionate about the Word of God, is seeking after you know, learning the scriptures and he's going to the internet maybe, and he's being influenced by uh, preachers, teachers who lean on into the Calvinism category. Well, I, I think there's a lot of really, I want to be careful here. There's a lot of really godly men that have helped me, but if I'm a young preacher, I need to learn the totality of systematic theology. I need to learn theology before I start listening to guys Often Calvinists are amillennialist or postmillennialist. They have a they have a distorted eschatological worldview um, because Calvinism has to work that way. Uh, they often believe in what we call replacement theology or covenant theology, where the church takes the place of Israel. The church has to carry out the covenants of Israel. Um, I would I would highly highly recommend that they would listen to some of the preachers that we've had at Canyon Ridge, men like Sam Davison, who I, who I argue is probably the best pulpiteer in America today. I have had arguments with, with Pastor Sam and encouraged him to put more messages online. Young men need access to Sam Davison. Um, and um, listen to some men like David Hunt. Listen to some men... Um, like the guy uh, whose name I suddenly forgot that, that wrote the book, The Potter's Promise, and Soteriot's uh, Leighton Flowers. Uh, listen to um, other great pastors and preachers. Don't get enamored because somebody is platformed. 
There's a great preacher. Paul Chapel is a really good preacher. Gives really good content. Very well laid out. Very simple. Very clear. I love it. My friend Steve Chapel, great preacher. Love him to death. And I I, I could keep naming guys, and I, I don't mean to get Park Sutton. Park Park Sutton is a is a great preacher. Kurt Skelly is a great preacher. Kerry Schmidt is a great pe- preacher. Um, Scott Pauley is a phenomenal preacher. Uh, uh, our uh, the the traditionalist viewpoint. If I didn't say David Hunt, David Hunt's a great preacher. The traditionalist viewpoint of preachers is not without a almost a glut of phenomenal preachers. We just don't always get the notoriety that the other guys get. And I, I'm not being critical of the other guys. I'm, I'm not. We just have a fundamental disagreement with the character of God. They believe God created people for the sole purpose of dying and going to hell and that God finds joy in them going to hell. Uh, I mean, it's, it's Calvinism in its simplest form. It's in its simplest form. I know there's going to be somebody online that's going to want to say a bunch of garbage about me. Go ahead. Say your garbage about me. But at the end of the day, you still have to come to that point. They say God finds the greatest glory in people going to hell. I've had them say to me, God finds... Uh, something similar to this. God finds as much glory in people going to hell as he does people going to heaven. Well, I'm sorry. I read in the Bible where the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. I never read that there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that dies and goes to hell. So the Calvinists are just completely flawed on, on a very base level. So I would say to guys that are turned on to the internet preacher types, hey, you need to talk to some mature, godly Pastors, if you're at Canyon Ridge, you need to talk to me, Bernie Lund, Zane Garza, and we need to sit down and go, hey, here's some phenomenal preachers that will minister to you and get into your life and help you like you've never imagined they've been that they could help you and be a blessing to you. And and one of these days when you when you get to a place of maturity, then you can handle maybe listening to some of those other guys. I, I'm thinking of a guy named John Getch, uh, the executive pre- vice president at West Coast Baptist College. John Getch is a great preacher. R.B. Willett is a great preacher. Paul Schwenke is a great preacher. I mean, like, great, not good, great. Dean Herring is a great preacher. Clark Bozier, uh, passionate, fun, probably personality-wise closest to me that there is, though he's much older than uh and and much i love them to death. Than you. Hey, do I? much more southern much than more you. texan than me too <laughs> that's for sure and um so th- there's just a ton of great resources out there um you just need to you just need to uh, talk to some spiritual by the way and the spiritual leaders god put in your life he didn't put them there by accident Hebrews chapter 13 verse number 17 obey them that have the rule over you as one that must give an account for they watch for your souls any of the guys I just mentioned, like, like let's say I said Steve Chapel, pastors Coastline Baptist Church up in Oceanside. I don't watch for the souls of the people at Coastline Baptist Church. I don't even know them. I preach at who we call a Baptist church in Hawaii more than any other church, single church in America. And I love those people and I pray for those people. But Pastor Anthony King, great preacher, uh, one of our brothers on deployment, listens to Pastor King's messages every week, always encouraged by him. He always, he's what I call an expositional application preacher. He doesn't delve too much into the theology like I would. Uh, he jumps more into application, which is which is the choice that God has, or the way that God has led him to do that. But, but he is a great preacher, but I don't watch for the souls of the people in Hawaii. I watch for the souls of people here. I guarantee John MacArthur's not worried about one dude here. 
Vody Bauckham's never prayed a single prayer for a single member of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. Paul Washer, again, these guys are godly men that are helpful, but they've never done that. Never, not a single time have they done that. Amen. And that's profitable. So anyway, we, we went long go. on that. We still got more we to did. do. This is going to be a long one, folks. Listen to it on quadruple speed. I had this thought, and that, you know, I'm just going to interject my thoughts here since I'm in the podcast. Uh, but yeah. what's the point of spiritual warfare? Battling against principalities, you know, spiritual weakness, high places, if God's going to determine who's going to heaven and hell anyways. What's the point? If the souls of men aren't at stake, then... What's the point of praying for the lost? Yeah. What's the point of praying for your kids to come to Christ? What's the point of evangelism? And here's what they'll say, the point, well, the point is God commanded you to do it. Okay, we can accept that God commanded us to do it, but why? God is not foolish, God's not a time waster. Yeah. God's not a union president or a union boss that just makes us do silly work. No, God, God, God gives us purpose. Yes. He's not out, we're not doing purposeless things. Like he gives us purpose. We were doing purposeless things and we got saved and now we have purpose. And, Absolutely. Yeah. If Calvinism is right, like I said yesterday, why would you have a kid? Because we know the vast majority of the world is dying and going to hell. I, I, the the estimates that people make, and you can do whatever you want with the numbers. I don't have any idea. Nobody does either. But the estimates are somewhere between 2 and 5% of the world's population knows Christ as their Savior. Let's take the high end of that, just for the sake of discussion. It might be more. I don't know. Neither does anybody else. But that means 95% of the world is not on their way to heaven. That means if you have 10 kids, 9.5 of them are on their way to hell. Yeah, that's terrible. Why would you do that? There's a, there's a 95% chance your child will die and go to hell if Calvinism is true. But you don't believe that. That's why you have them in church. That's why you pray. That's why you bring them. That's why you talk to them about the gospel. Because you understand, stand, doggone it, that, that's Clark Bozier and me. You understand <laughs> that the preaching of the word changes lives. Yeah, it was Calvin who came up with the concept that the children of the elect are elect. I would come up with that too. Yeah. That's going to help you sleep at night. That's going to help you sleep at night, but it's not nowhere in the scripture. All right. You got any other uh, questions? Uh, I want to talk about Elijah, but let's see here. I, don't, oh. I had to turn in your notes and uh, I circled uh, this. This is the tactic of our selfishness and Satan. But what are we speaking of? I don't know. Oh, when we feel like we're alone, mm-hmm. like we're the only ones serving God. We're the only, we're the only ones left, but God always has a remnant. And, uh, and the reason that we think this way is just our own inward self-focus, our selfishness. And uh, I don't know what I have I to ask I about had, that. Is it but selfishness it just, or self-centeredness? Uh, it says selfishness, but you said um, self-centered behind the pulpit. I okay. remember you saying that no, for sure. I'm, just a good thought um, because I often feel I, I'm there feeling like I'm alone. And it's just such a stupid thing when you realize that you're not. <laughs> yeah, our self-centeredness is often born out of our insecurity. Our insecurity is born out of our self-centeredness. Like, nobody likes me. Nobody's here. I'm the only one. Nobody cares. I'm the one who sweeps up. I'm, I'm the only one who talks to people, you know. And, um, and that's really where Satan wants us to be. Now, now Satan, all, I said it last night. Maybe I said it yesterday morning, but I said it last night for sure that Satan can only influence us from the outside in. People often think, Satan tempted me. No, 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 every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. If you're a believer, Satan is not inside you. If you're not a believer, Satan is not inside you. He doesn't have to get inside you. We have enough of the old man in us carrying us away. And so we struggle often with wanting to isolate ourselves. This is why people quit coming to church. 
well, no, nobody, nobody talked to me. Well, that's not true. I talked to you. And I said, well, yeah, you talked to me, but nobody else did. Well, as soon as service was over, you ran and got in your car and you left. Do you want us to stop service and come talk to you? Well, no. And you just kind of drill in on some of those things. And what you learn is, and it, it's heart-wrenching, is that people live in this state of willful mental isolation. Because maybe they've been hurt in the past. Maybe they've never been taught that they should come out of themselves and be uncomfortable for a little while to build relationships. Maybe like Elijah, they went through a success. And it's when you're on a mountaintop experience spiritually, you really have only one way to go. You know, and, and the only sometimes the way to go is down. And that's why we need church and we need encouragement because we want to give us some stop gaps on the way down that as we go, those are, those are, it's a controlled descent back to a normal plane of Christian living. But sometimes what we do is we just free fall and then we hit the bottom and we're like, dude, nobody cares, bro. Nobody even saw you. You, you fell off that rock. And you just flew right past us, and we yelled at you and put our hands out. But, you, you know, we couldn't do it fast enough because we didn't see what was happening. And now we're calling you and trying to get to you, but you won't return our calls, and, and you won't visit with us. And, 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 I, and I'm just in a very, very broad spiritual sense. So isolation, when Satan can isolate you, Satan can defeat you. An isolated Christian is his greatest target. So, not not amen in a positive sense. Yeah, but it's just a true statement. Yeah, so that's why we need church. That's why we need believers. That's why we need even Calvinist brothers in our life uh, that encourage us, pray for us. We encourage, we pray for them. We minister to them. And that's one of the reasons the Bible says, don't look only on your own thing, but also on the things of others. Like the direct quote, look not everyone on his own thing, but also on the things of others. When you're looking at other people's needs, you're seeing that the world is broader than you and you're reaching out. And when you give, you will receive. And the greatest benefit is the giving, but you also receive. And so it becomes a very, a very beautiful Christ-centered two-way street of encouragement. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess we'll stop there since we're uh, we're going deep and late into this podcast. <laughs> I, one of my favorite ones yet, I think. Sweet. So hopefully the, the gain wasn't turned up too high and you, you peaked, but John will fix that. <laughs> uh, what kind of pen you got? We haven't done pens in a while. Oh, dude. So I got this pen just because I love the color. It's it's a cheap, it's a Chinese pen called Jin Hao. And um, I forget what it is. It is the Jin Hao 159. It's like a $6 pen, but it writes well. It has good balance. And I love the color purple. I'm really sad that I scratched it. But right with that puppy, man, for a $6 pen, that thing is fire. And um, You said fire twice. As oh, I, I will not say <laughs> fire again. Yeah, I like that. The, the balance is really good. And, and um, so this is, this is kind of, I travel with a couple of pens, but this, I have an orange one and a purple one. And I travel with these because they're, if I lose them, if they get scratched, it was six bucks. No big deal. No big deal. But the Jin Hao 159, not a fountain pen. I uh, I had a Jin Hao fountain pen. I don't like their fountain pens, mm -hmm. but I do like their, it's a roller ball. And so, yeah, not that anyone cares other than me, but it's a cool pen. Well, something I care about. Game three of the World Series tonight, who you got? Oh, man. Well, Texas, man, what a great game for, Game one was. Game. I thought game two was great, too. Well, you're going for Arizona. <laughs> I, I am, but it was just like their resilience, like because they, they were down early, and, man, they just came back and, and crushed them. And, man, yeah, what was the final score? Uh, I don't even remember. I think it was like 10 to 2. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was, it was like a that. blowout. Um, 
I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a baseball guy, but I've done a little bit of reading and watching a couple of things about Texas. If their offense can get going, they can't be stopped. Um, and um, it just, it's hard to say. I think Texas, don't they have their really good pitcher pitching tonight? Uh, I don't know who's on the mound or anything like that. Yeah. But, but I think Texas will win tonight. They'll I, bounce. I think it's just going to be back and forth. It's I, just like a heavyweight bout. I've always been a Texas fan. We normally don't have anything to root for. And I'm, I'm an Arizona fan. And by fan, I don't mean they're my favorite team. I just like both teams. So the Diamondbacks are obviously in the National League West where the Padres are. And the Padres are my team. Um, we're used to disappointment. <laughs> and um, we've isolated ourselves. Um but um, I, I am a big, big fan of both teams, both organizations. What is it, two years ago, they both lost like almost 100 games or 80 games or something. I yeah. mean, they were terrible. And so I just love what they do. And it's fun. So I, I would like to see Texas win. I've got family from Texas. It's really the only team in Dallas that I root for. Again, I grew up a Rangers fan. Um, but if Arizona wins, I feel like it's a win. So yeah. it's it's a no-lose World Series for me. I agree. Just as long as the games are competitive and Yeah, exciting. it's been fun to watch. So, yeah. It's been fun to watch. Awesome. Well, Are we up. doing any of those? You want to? Yes. Yeah. We're doing some of those. All right, here we go. We got some questions from our uh, AMA last night. AMA is uh, Ask Me Anything Night. We normally <laughs> have 13 questions. We got 42 <laughs> I think it was 42 that we got, and so I answered close to 20. Well, John didn't number these, and so. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I got close to 20 done Just last night, but we'll do two real quick. All right, first one. How can I get over my fear of sharing the gospel? I'm uncomfortable not sharing it, but it's scary at times. Wait, did I read that right? I don't know, did you? I think what it should say is, I'm uncomfortable sharing it because it's scary at times. How can I get over my fear of not sharing the gospel? Um, well, to get over your fear of sharing the gospel, I think, I think it's helpful to memorize some scripture. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I think we need to pray like Paul said, I'm trying to remember who he talked to. Was it the Ephesians? Pray for us that we may boldly preach the word, pray for boldness, pray for a passion and compassion, seeing people, uh, that, uh, as though they will spend eternity in hell, because that's exactly where they will spend eternity. How shall they hear without a preacher? Um, God has you in their life. It's scary at times. Welcome. Welcome to the reality that sometimes sharing the gospel is scary. See, here's a Bible principle. For when we are weak, Christ is strong. And we need him. We need his power. We need his enabling. We need we need to be able to speak and, and just the Holy Spirit use it in an amazing way. So to the brother or sister who wrote that question, I have been so fearful of sharing the gospel so many times. And sometimes you just, you just dig down and you just go through it. You're going to survive. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. It's going to be great. I try to live in this arena on stuff like this in every area of life, a workout, a cold plunge, a sauna, whatever the case may be, a difficult conversation. Um, I try to remember how bad it's going to feel and how crummy I'm going to feel if I don't do it. Like I'm going to feel crummy that I took the weak way out. Like, man, I just took the weak way out. Oh, I feel like such a punk. No, no, other people don't have to feel that way. That That's the way that I feel. But I really try to lean into that when I'm struggling with a decision. 
um, you know, we had we had Frontline Heroes Sunday, and I had to show up to some divisions and invite guys to church. And one of the divisions I showed up to, I was just going to drop the bag off, and the officer at the front counter uh, saw that I was a chaplain. He's like, "Oh, chaplain, you know, come on in." So I came in, I went in, and they were supposed to be done with their lineup, which happens at two. And I got there like at two twenty. And their lineup was still going. It never goes that long. And they were they they had to talk about some stuff. And and uh, when they got done, there was a there was a detective outside. And he and I. He's like, hey, what are you doing? And I told him. He goes, he goes, do you want to talk to the guys? And I'm like, yeah. And you know me. People think I love to talk to people. I don't. I was like, no. I just want to drop this off and go. I mean, there's Fritos at my house waiting to be eaten or something. I I would rather you know go isolate and pray or whatever. And that's my flesh, you know. And uh, and I was like, and the Lord's like, yes, you do want to talk. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And I go in, and I'm by far the biggest guy in the room. But man, you you would have thought I was a two-year-old in front of a firing squad. I was sweating so much and just super nervous. And I just, as I walked up, because the, the sergeant in charge of the lineup was like, oh, we have chaplain here. Why don't you come in? Sorry, chaplain, I didn't recognize you. Come on in, chaplain. And so I, I stood in front of however many officers were there, quite a few. It's it called the barrel day. A lot of officers were there. And I just had to invite them to come. And some people, that might not affect them at all. For me, in that moment, I was really fearful, but I really tried to think through, how will I feel if I don't do this? And I would have struggled to sleep well at night, knowing that I took the coward's way out. So I try to think of those things motivate me. They push me through when I'm struggling. Yeah. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Um, something I would say is like, you just got to, you got to do it too. Because if you never do it, then I mean, it's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah. But the more you do it, not that you'll get more comfortable, because I think every situation and the person you're speaking to is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you kind of get that muscle memory, I guess. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like you train your brain to like, okay, I've done this before. Our friend Troy, Do- Troy Durrell would say you develop positive neural mm-hmm. pathways yeah, I that. that like, hey, this is going to be fine. And this is how I deal with these situations. I'm going to survive. It's not that big a deal. Every time you tell yourself no, you develop neural pathways. No, 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 no. And then you turn into an adult that doesn't do anything. I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want to go out like that. It's the old adage goes. Now I want to go out doing something great for the cause of Jesus Christ, busting my tail for Jesus. And, uh, and so right now I feel like I'm in a very aggressive state of mind. I think our world needs that. I think I need that. And so I'm just pushing hard that every time I feel like, no, let's just take it easy. I feel like God's pushing me like, no, you take it harder. No, you, you, you go strong. You, you've got to get this done. And, and it's been helpful for me. And so to the person who wrote that, I'll be praying for you. The Lord knows who you are. And uh, I, we would just encourage you just to just to go through it. Don't worry about the words that you're going to say. You're, you're going to do great. You are literally going to do amazing. And if you feel led of the Lord to tell us, we'd love to hear the testimony of how good he's been when you stepped out by faith. Hmm. And you're not alone in that. And you're you not alone. You, you are not alone. All right. Number next. Hillsong Church. This is a doozy. So long question. Hillsong Church has been plagued with scandals among their pastors and musical artists, including divorce, sexual assault, and cover-ups. Also, they preach a word of faith, prosperity gospel, and believe in continuation of the super, supernatural gifts of the Spirit. What is your position on their church and using their music? Should we associate ourselves with them? 
Uh, well, that's really a two separate question. My position on their church is obviously everything that you just stated. We could never endorse or support their church, ever. Um, I mean, as, as whoever wrote the question, they believe in a in a word of faith. They're a word of faith movement. They're they're ripe with scandal. Jesus said, "Wisdom is known over children." The product of their preaching is the outgrowth of their life, and you know, and. Um, I mean, there's just been uh, abject drunkenness, infidelity, all kinds of problems. And, and our heart goes out to those people. It really does. We're not, we, we don't sit here from a bastion of, of arrogance saying, like, you're an idiot. We would never do that, never do that. But what we do understand is that there are some things that the Bible says have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather approve them. And there's, there's times when we just have to separate from people. And uh, if I knew the pastor, he and I would have had some conversations. I don't know the pastor, uh, and there's no way that I would, but I do pray for there to be a, a small remnant of people that bring about a, a theological um, change to biblical, traditional biblical worldview. Um, the second question is about music. Uh, should we associate ourselves with them by way of music. One of the problems is, is that they have bought so much music over the years that I think between them, I was told between them, Bethel and Elevation, they own 95% of all music out there today. Now, I don't know if that number is accurate, but it was on a podcast. So, so what do you mean by own it? Because I, I have a question. That's my question. Like, like own it means they own the rights to it. Like they either purchased it or they wrote it or somebody wrote it and sent it to them and they published it or something like that because they're the they're the mass producers of music right now. So there are some like like Bethel we have absolutely we won't sing any Bethel songs at all. Um, I think there's probably um, two or three, maybe four or five. We asked Bernie yesterday. Was it four or five, something like that? Oh, I wasn't there for that. I don't know. I'm looking at John. I know of two off the top of my head that we that we would say one of them's from like the '90s. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I, I was about to bring that up. Some of them, they some of them are, are are just fantastic and they're great. And and I'm always kind of in a deliberation of like what should we do with that. But 99.9 percent .9 of their music we would never sing. Maybe we sing four or five songs of theirs, and they're they've been around. But some of those songs they didn't write; they just purchased. And they own the rights to, or they have the publishing arm, uh, publishing uh, from it. And so um, I hope that people will be praying uh, for songwriters today that are theologically sound to write really good singable songs. Because uh, we, some churches, everybody does what they want to do, not, not, no fault of it. I don't have a problem with what other people do. I, I'm not called to pastor other churches. Uh, but some churches, literally, the, the song service is basically, quote, the band just standing up there and singing and everybody else kind of listening to it, the professional sing. Other churches, my tradition is uh, you uh, sing a song, then you'd have a choir special, then you'd have some announcements, and then there would be a special, which is more, so you have the choir um professionals singing and then you'd have announcements and then you have a a solo or a group of professionals sing and then you might sing the first and last verse of another song or two and then you have somebody else stand up the paid professionals and sing and then the pastor gets up and preaches so the traditional fundamentalist music that i grew up in and a lot of the music is philosophically as far as um involvement of the church people it's almost identical 
it's almost identical. It's often um, uh, observational. It's often performance-based. You have a choir, you have special singers, you have that all the time. Our philosophy at Canyon Ridge is we believe that worship based on the scripture is supposed to be not observational, but participatory. And everybody is supposed to participate. And, and again, we, we're, not, we're not yelling at anybody else, uh, but we want to sing songs that are, are easily sung for the entire congregation. And so we really pray, and I hope people will join me in praying uh, for some great congregational songs to be sung. And, and there's great ones out there, great songwriters that are out there, great groups that are out there. I'm not going to mention them all. It would take too long. And I'd, I'm sure, like my friends that are preaching, I left some out. Um, but that's really, really our desire. And so, like I said, if it's, if it's four, maybe five Hillsong songs that we've sung for decades, uh, we're probably going to keep doing just a few of those, but we, we don't do any Bethel. We don't do any elevation. Um, and, um, we've taken a strong stand against Hillsong. And so even as I answer that question, I feel a little bit, um, a little bit of consternation in my soul, but I feel at peace in my soul with the songs. And so I've got some friends and we talk about this all the time. And frustrated about it. Bethel, they preach a completely different gospel, a completely different gospel. They, they do not preach salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. That, that's just not what they do. And so, um, anyway, it, 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 I could talk for hours on this topic. Yeah, it's a pretty complex issue. And so, anyway, um, that's kind of what we do. And should we? Uh, we do. We do. Should we? I don't know, but we do. And if the Lord changes our heart on that, I mean, this, and that's why I encourage pray for your pastor and the assistant pastors of Canyon Ridge, because we're really trying to do the right thing. Our heart's desire is to do the right thing. Amen. And so this is officially the longest Afterthoughts program. So if you have listened to the whole Afterthoughts program, you can see John Scheifus, and he will give you a free certificate to eat at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Ruth's Chris won't recognize it, but John will give you one nonetheless. <laughs> so it won't mean a thing to them. Uh, but uh, I'm teasing, obviously. Thanks for your patience. I hope that this has been a blessing. We went a little long. Um, but anyway, I hope it was a blessing. Amen. Thanks for uh, joining us. We'll see you next week on The Afterthought Show. You've been listening to The Afterthought Show with Zane Garza and Chris Chadwick. To listen to the sermon that inspired this episode, check out Canyon Ridge Baptist Church on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. For information about our church, Pastor Chadwick, or how to know Jesus is your Savior, visit our website at CanyonRidgeSanDiego.com. Canyon Ridge is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, make plans to visit us this Sunday. We'll see you next time.